0: As we transition into the Word, I want to just pick up where we left off last week. We're talking about a series called Look Up. Look Up. It comes from Luke chapter 21, verse 38, where Jesus answered the question the disciples asked about, what will it be like in the last days, and how will we know that time has come? Then he, he, he gives the whole answer. Mark 13, Matthew 24, and Luke 21. They're all recordings from the different Gospels of the same discourse that Jesus was having with the disciples. And in verse 28 in Luke chapter 1, 21, he says, Now when these things begin to happen, look up. Everybody say, look up. Yeah. And lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Now in two weeks from today, we have the Milton High School feeder football team. I think this is the third annual what they call Squad Sunday. And there'll be two or three hundred players, cheerleaders, and parents here. And so, Caroline and Dylan, our student pastor, they are working to really run that whole event this year. And so, they're asking me for a theme for my sermon. And we like to mix it to where it's the word and it's not just some little, you know, pep talk on Sunday morning. But that it'll be worth our church people and everybody attending. And so... I've coached the boys, i coached 23 different football teams, and I loved it. And Caroline went in and she asked the boys, um, they were here in the office, both Stone and Banks, she said, what are some of the slogans, the things that dad used to say as a coach? Because I've just always just had some little quip that I was, just crazy stuff to keep kids motivated, have fun. And they went through the list, and one of the things they said was, one of the early ones they said, dad used to always say, it ain't over till it's over. How many know that's true? So that's the title of my sermon, but let me confess. The real title of the sermon is too long to put on one slide because the real title of the sermon is It Ain't Over Till It's Over. And with God, even when it's over, it still ain't over. And it's not. And for those of you who are from the Big Ten and you're not from the SEC, uh, forgive me. It's not over until it's over. And with God, even when it's over, it's still not yet over. I mean, thank God for all of our big tenors from the Midwest and the Northeast coming in here with us. So this morning, I want to talk to you about that. Look up, because it ain't over till it's over. And with God, even when it's over, it's still not over. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your presence, and we thank you for your word. And I just right now, Lord, we just we turn the page in this service from worship and fellowship and announcements to hearing your word. And we, I just ask, Lord, I ask you specifically right now, none of us need or want a TED Talk. We don't want a Chuck Talk. We need you, Lord. We don't want an echo chamber. We pray, Lord, according to Hebrews 4.12, that your word, it is already alive. We welcome the process of it separating joint and marrow in our soul and our spirit separate say say something to all of us today that stretches us challenges us encourages us I don't want to just say Lord what you have said I want to say this morning you what you are saying and we we ask Lord let there be rhema come and, and speak through us if there's something I've even prepared or studied or thought this week or this morning or even right now that you want to say Lord I just yield myself to you We're in a season, and you know it, Father. We need your manna, and so we live for it today. And we thank you for your faithfulness to speak to your people. May I be silent. May you speak. May I disappear, and you be preeminent. You be noticed, Lord. You be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, now when these things begin to happen, look up. Because your redemption draweth nigh. And it's the things that we're seeing. The English Standard Version says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, collect yourself, get yourself together. That's what it means. Collect yourself. Don't be thrown off. Be disoriented. Collect yourself and look up. Last week, I want to just give a little bit of review. If you were not here, I encourage you, to take some time and listen to the first sermon in this series. I think it will be helpful. But we talked about the three things that Jesus mentions are going to happen. The first one was, he said that there would be religious delusion. There would be a spirit that would come upon people and they would be deceived. Verse 8 in this passage, he says, Take heed that you not be deceived. The Amplified Version says, And he said, be on your guard and be careful that you are not led astray. I just want to highlight that again. All of us in here, be on your guard, be alert, be awake because it's easy to be misled in this culture. Spiritual things, medical things, physical, financial things. There's a lot of mistruth. There's a lot of Deception going on, even in the church, and, and we we've got to be careful. There's a strong, intimidating spirit that is silencing spiritual leaders or trying to. Things like Black Lives Matter. Do Black Lives Matter? Yes, they do. Is Black Lives Matter a worthy nonprofit? that we should give to. No, it is not. Yet the NFL and major corporations, smart people, have been pressured to give literally hundreds of millions of dollars. And I could go on and on and on. Medical issues. Political issues. The truth is hard to find. And I want to encourage you to do what Jesus said, take heed, be on guard so that you are not deceived in the religious delusion. So for that, Jesus says, the remedy is don't be deceived. The second thing he mentioned was that there would be international distress. In verse 9 through 11, he says, when you hear of rumors, uh, wars and commotions, do not be terrified. Nation will rise against nation or Ethnos against ethnos. Race against race. Kingdom against kingdom. There'll be international conflict like never before. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights. Look here. Fearful things to see. Fearful sights that are visible. And there'll be great signs from heaven in the midst of this overwhelming international distress that will be things that we will see that will bring fear. Heaven will be involved too. So pay attention. The international distress, what did Jesus say? Do not worry. Do not worry. Now, the last thing he says is when these things begin to happen, I'm sorry, Religious persecution would be the the next thing he says. When these things begin to happen, look up, look up, get yourself together, pull yourself together and look up. From review last week, he says, get the right perspective. Stoop down, humble yourself, look up in worship, look up in prayer. Matthew chapter six, verse 19 through 21, Jesus tells us about where we are to have our focus. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul echoes this idea in Colossians 3. Pay attention. He says, set your hearts on things above. Look here, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. Now what I'm getting at again in this second week is how to have the perspective that Jesus instructs us that we need to have. Have our minds set on heavenly things, spiritual things. Have our minds tuned to the word of God. Have our hearts staying in a mindset and an attitude of worship. This is the spiritual perspective that we are to have. Stay in tune with the word of God. It is what lifts us up to be able to hear the voice of God in worship. And listen, to see his perspective, to get revelation from him regarding his plans for what's happening, his plans for your life, his plans for your family. So that you can have an understanding of what he's doing. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says this. After this, I looked. And John said, there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. It said, come up here. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And then I love what it says. At once... I was in the Spirit. I just want you to see this little template. First of all, God speaks to John with clarity. It's a trumpet. It's not a French horn. It's a trumpet. There's a clarion call. How many of you know when God speaks, he speaks with clarity. You don't have to doubt what he's saying. And he says, come up here. I want to show you some things that are to come. And then it says, at once... I was in the Spirit, and that's important. We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit around here, and I just want to encourage you. Why is that? Why do we need to be in the Holy Spirit right now? Why do we need to stay full of the Holy Spirit? You can read John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Jesus was real practical when he told us about what the Holy Spirit would help us do. He said that because the Holy Spirit comes, we're going to do greater things than he did. Not in quality, but in quantity. He said the Holy Spirit, y'all have heard these things. The Holy Spirit would remind us of the things Jesus said. How many of you are thankful for when you forget the Holy Spirit reminds us? Jesus said the Holy Spirit will, there's some things I'd like to say to you right now, but you're not wired to be able to receive them. But when he comes, hear this, he will lead you into all truth all truth pandemic truth revelation truth practical truth marriage truth family truth medical truth the holy spirit will he will give you the ability to discern and to know what is right and wrong what is true and false jesus said when the holy spirit comes i'll be like a vine to you and you'll be a branch and You just abide in me and he will bear fruit through you. You you abide in me and my word abide in you. Ask whatever you need, whatever you wish, and it'll be granted. How many of you are thankful for the Holy Spirit? Jesus goes on in John chapter 16. Oh yeah, in this world, you're gonna have trouble and persecution. You're gonna have trials, but take heart. I've already overcome the world. This is why in John 17, he says, As I am one with the Father, I bring you into this oneness. Father, make us one. Make them one. May they be in the world and not of the world. May they be light in the world. And this is why when John said, I heard the voice of the Lord like a trumpet saying, Come up. God wants to show me some things that I need to see. And at once I was in the Spirit. How many of you want to be in the Spirit this morning? Come on. You want to be full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, now, Satan doesn't want you to look up. He doesn't want you to come up to be with the Lord. He wants you to look out. He wants you to look down. He wants you to not have the right perspective. And we could go to hundreds of places in God's Word and look at how Satan, even with Jesus, he says, look at these stones. They're virtually bred to you. You can say it. You can command them. Look, look, look down, look out. But don't look up. Don't look up. We could go many different places. And this morning, I want to go to one of those places. But before we do, um, you may find it odd that how do you go to the life of Joseph from Luke chapter 21, talking about the end time?" Because Joseph had a perspective that I really pray that we can have imparted to us this morning. Um, Daniel Goldman's landmark book, Emotional Intelligence, I think it came out in 1995. And I could say a lot about that. And what we're seeing in America continues to climb while our emotional intelligence continues to decrease. People are not emotionally whole. We're smart, but we're not emotionally whole. And, And we're insecure and unstable, disoriented. And in there, he talks about the A plus B equals C. But look right here. This whole emotional intelligence thing. God wants you to be emotionally whole. This is why you're saved. Your soul gets saved. You get restored. It's what this whole church is about. Your mind, how you think. Your emotions, what you feel, and your will, how you make decisions. How many of you know your mind, how you think, and how you feel determines the decisions you make? And God wants us to be whole, spirit, soul, and body. So in the name of Jesus, as I'm preaching this morning, I feel the Holy Spirit just coming in here in a very practical way. And he's going to stabilize some of us. In the name of Jesus, we're going to stop being deceived. We're going to, because we have more Holy Spirit, we're spending more time in the Word. We're going to stop walking in fear and anxiety. We're going to stop worrying completely in the name of Jesus. Oh, Pastor Chuck, all of it, all of it. Can I just have a little bit? No, we are fasting from worry and fear. You don't get to do it anymore. Not nah, I. Nah. It's over. Somebody say it's over. When you look up, you cannot have fear. When you look up, you will see the truth because he is the source of it. Now, in this book, Goldman says that A plus B equals C. A says A is what happens to you. B is what you tell yourself about what happens to you. A plus B equals C, and C is how you feel or what you feel about what has happened to you. We know a lot more now than we did in 1995 about the brain and how it works and neural passageways and all this stuff. But where, where we go wrong, spiritually and just practically, even outside of a walk of the Lord, we go wrong on B. How many of you know bad stuff is going to happen to good people and good stuff is going to happen to bad people? And it's not what happens to you that counts. It's what you allow yourself to tell yourself about what happened to you that's what counts now a plus b equals c and b what you tell yourself and how you feel about it that equals your next chapter in life how you tell yourself about what's happened how you feel that tell that tells us your destiny where you're going what's going to happen in your life and so we need a revelation you know um it's funny. I, I go to the gym. I was at li- Lifetime twice this week, and you, just just the simple thing. I'm, I'm walking over here, and there's weights to pick up, and somebody gets there first. And the gym people are just like spunky. It's like, I'm sorry. And it, like, look at like, I'm a I'm a real, what do they call them, Jim. What do you call them? Y'all shouldn't have known that, Jim. rats, like, and there's this. Yeah, and people are so surprised. That's why I always wear something. I don't know the last time I went to the gym and didn't have a Restoration Church shirt on. And uh, I get people introduce themselves to me. First time I meet them in the gym. Some of y'all. And in traffic, somebody pulls out in front of me. Hey, what happened to me? Somebody pulled out in front of me. It's 2.5 seconds of my day. It's going to be, oh, we got to a traffic light. I guess it doesn't really matter. Unless they stop at the yellow light. How many of you know yellow lights do not mean stop? They mean go faster because it's about to turn red. Amen? You're on Georgia 400. Here comes somebody pulling right over in front of you in the fast lane. What do they think, them in their little Prius hybrid? Look at them. Who drives a Prius hybrid? I know there are people in, but we tell ourselves that's, we make the stupidest stuff personal. It's not personal. It's a free country. Last time I checked, and I'm checking often these days because (laughs) you just never know. But Candace, why'd you answer me that way? What way? You should hear yourself. Look at you. What kind of person did I... You, you, what happened and what I tell myself about what happened determines how I feel. What I tell myself and how I feel, I keep telling myself, I feel this way and that, that, that sets the trajectory for my life, for my marriage. And God wants to heal us from that. He wants to bring us up when you go, bad stuff happened. But I specialize in using bad stuff in people's lives. That worst thing that's ever happened to you, I promise you, God would say, I'm gonna make it the best thing. That's the springboard for the real breakthrough that you need in your life. I don't care what Satan does, God says, I can turn it around. Y'all out there this morning, we really need this perspective. So it's not what happens to us, it's what we say to ourselves about what happens to us. And listen, what do we say? We need to say reality. And reality is what does God's word say about what's happening to me? I have to continually look up so that I cannot get tripped up by saying dumb stuff. Now, let's go. Before we go there, um, everybody notice what I'm talking about is being victimized. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. This is an echo chamber. We all know this because we live in North Atlanta. We're not victimized. But this, that is a spirit that is, has been released in our nation. And it can cripple our spirit, our, our nation. And we need to pray that we do not get contaminated by that spirit. We are not victims. We are victors no matter what's happened in our lives. We are overcomers. We are overcomers. Y'all are looking at me like a bunch of North Atlantans. So here we go. We're going to the hillbillies. Something good is going to happen to you. Happen to you this very day. Something good is going to happen to you. Jesus of Nazareth is passing your way. Y'all believe it? Now listen, hold on. Where are you coming from, Pastor Chuck? You know, for all the people who have graduate, advanced degrees, all of you who live in a gated community, I just want to say one thing to you. Something good is going to happen to you, happen to you this very day something good is going to happen to you jesus of nazareth is passing your way y'all believe it i just remind you i i, I didn't know what i started last week our kids have been waking us up in the morning something good is going and we've we've been conversing about my mother and father. We're on the golf course. We hit one three blocks into the woods. And Banks would say, what will grandma say? It'll be all right. It's okay. It'll work out. It always does. So I took my preacher wedge into the woods and I... Something good is going. <laughs> it's an atmosphere. I, we reflected. My sweet mother, her dad died when she was 12. He was killed. Three daughters. I said it last week. I just want to tell you, this is where I come from. It, this stuff works, brothers and sisters. My mother, whose mother made every stitch of clothing she had till she got to college, got a job. My little nana raised those three girls. All they had was a sink in their uncle's little general store. They were raised in the back room. She shouldn't have been saying something good, but my little nana had a real relationship with Jesus. I'm talking real. Anybody raised by a nana like that? And she raised those girls. Don't you let anybody from the country club look down on you. You've got a personal tailor making your clothes. God loves you. You're a daughter of the king. I'd give anything for my mother to stand here. She was at home with poverty-stricken homeless people. And she was at home with CEOs and board members and their wives. She wore very little makeup, had almost no jewelry. And she knew who she was. Oh, God, give us some people who have faith to say something good is going to happen. Are y'all out there? Lord, let it infect us. Let it cause us to turn our eyes upward and believe God for the impossible. Are y'all out there? A plus B equals C. Let's take a look at Joseph real quick for a few minutes. Before we do, this is what I want in your spirit. Jeremiah 29, 11, It's a verse everybody knows. I know the plans I have for you. You don't, added by Pastor Chuck. God says through the prophet at a time where they were dismally dark and away from God, the Israelites were. My plans are to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. A few chapters later, he says in Jeremiah 33, call to me, look up. I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. How many of you know there's some things you need to know that you don't know, but if you call out to God, he will answer you and show you. He will tell you those things that you don't know that you need to know. Can I get a witness? Now, Joseph. Everybody knows Joseph's story. He was a dreamer. He had a dream God was going to use him greatly. He found, He wound up in the pit. Oh, shoot. It's over. Ah. Oh, they decide, nah, no, we're not going to leave him there. We're going to sell him. Into slavery. Maybe it's not over. Oh, he gets bought by the Ishmaelites. Taken down to Egypt. Oh, it's over. Potiphar's Potiphar buys him, and Potiphar works for Pharaoh. Maybe it's not over. He goes to work for Potiphar. And the Bible says in Genesis 39, he was well-built and handsome. How many you know if the Bible, if God's word says you are well-built and handsome, you are probably a stud. Y'all out there? <laughs> you know, God... But Potiphar's wife had too much time on her hand, and Potiphar was busy. Joseph had favor. He had a God-given dream. He probably could have shared it differently. But even though he didn't, it wasn't over when it appeared to be over. He goes from the pit to Potiphar's house, Mrs. Potiphar has too much time. She tries to seduce him. The Bible says day after day, and it doesn't work. One day, nobody's in the house. Joseph is near. She comes and says, Joseph, will you help me get this light bulb put in the kitchen? He comes in, and she grabs him, and she's trying to rape him, and yet she cries rape because he doesn't give in to her temptation. Have you ever done the right thing and got accused for doing the wrong thing and then you pay a price as if you did the wrong thing? How many of you know that's hard to let go? And the Bible says she screamed, grabbed part of his shirt. As he left, she held that shirt. When the others came in, she was acting and she said, she was acting and she said, he tried to take advantage of me. And when Potiphar came home, She lied and made up a story about what he had done. And then what happens? Potiphar's mad. Potiphar works for Pharaoh. Potiphar has Joseph put into prison. And the Bible says, the first thing it says about him being put into prison, the Lord was with him. And the Lord caused him to prosper. The same thing that happened at Potiphar's house. Joseph got favor because God prospered and blessed all of Potiphar's house, his whole farm and his whole well being. God was blessing him because of Joseph. And yet, he gets unfairly accused and then he gets put into prison. And the Bible says again the Lord was with him and he caused him to prosper. And the prison warden said, I like this guy because the Lord was blessing him in prison. Are y'all out there this morning? No, you're not. Y'all are not out there. The Bible said that there were two men got thrown into that prison where where Joseph was. And one of them was the chief, the cupbearer, who got to sample the king's drink before the king drank it to make sure it wasn't deadly. And then the baker burnt the biscuits one morning and he gets thrown into prison. And both of those are in there with Joseph. But it's over. There is no hope. Joseph goes in one morning because those two get put in his part of the prison where he's in charge. Isn't God wonderful? And he notices that they're unhappy and they look distraught. And he says, what's wrong? And they go, man, we had a dream last, I had a dream and he had a dream. And we have no idea what it means. And Joseph says, well, I, I know a little bit about dreams. Tell them to me. And so the cupbearer goes, he tells him his dream and Joseph goes, yeah, that's awesome. What that means is in three days, Pharaoh is gonna come, get you out of prison and he's gonna restore you back into the palace. And the cupbearer goes, wow. I received that. Thank you. God bless you. The baker goes, hey, I like this interpreter. Hey, here's my dream. And Joseph goes, oh man, I'm sorry to tell you, but that means in three days the Pharaoh is coming and he's going to take your head off and he's going to hang you. I don't receive that. Well, it's the truth. And three days came. Joseph didn't know it. It was Pharaoh's birthday. What does he do? Joseph said to the cupbearer hey listen bro when you get out remember me would you put in a good word to pharaoh for me the bible says at the end i think it's of chapter 39 the cupbearer forgot it's the last verse forgot about joseph the cupbearer gets restored and now pharaoh has the cupbearer back. The poor baker is gone. And the cupbearer's there. And Pharaoh has a dream. And he says to the cupbearer one morning, this dream was so real. I just feel like I've got to understand this dream. Two years later. And the cupbearer has a moment, knucklehead. He goes, oh. I just remembered that Hebrew slave that was put into prison. He interpreted my dream. He might be able to interpret this dream. Pharaoh goes, call for him. How many of you know, when it looks like it's over, it ain't over. Even when it's over, Joseph comes. He says, tell me the dream. Pharaoh goes, man, I've heard you can interpret dreams and here's the humility of Joseph he says I can't but God will help us to know your dream he tells Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream and Joseph as you know interprets the dream and he says this what that means is there's seven years of famine going to come after seven years of abundance I wish I had time to drill all the way down right here. If we are ever in a season where we need a Joseph in our lifetime, it's right now. And God gave him the interpretation said, there will be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. And the famine will make everybody in the world forget the abundance. And Pharaoh goes, what should we do? And Joseph said, here's what we should do. We need to set aside a certain amount every year. So when the famine gets here, we'll be prepared. What happens? Pharaoh says, Joseph, I want you to be second in command. You are in charge. You answer to no one except me. Everybody else answers to you. And that, the Bible says seven years, hear me, of Abundance, prosperity comes. And the Bible says right before the famine comes, Pharaoh gives Joseph a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, and she's from a priestly tribe, two of the most important, high-ranking priests in all of Egypt. She is the, the daughter of that priest. And and so Joseph is now, he's married to someone related to, he's got to hear the name Potipharah. That's in his mind. And Pharaoh also gives Joseph an Egyptian name. The Bible says the Lord gave them two children. Please hear me. Many of you know this story. Gave him two children, and the first one's name was Manasseh. And the Bible says, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, this is the meaning of that name, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Please leave that up on the screen if you will. Brothers and sisters, we know that God used Joseph in a mighty way and you may go hey in Genesis 41 he's arrived he's out of prison he's out of the palace out of the pit he's now in the palace Joseph you have arrived and you may go that's the ending no that's just the beginning and God begins to bless him and hear me we know that he's getting ready to be blessed why because he takes his first son, and he doesn't give him an Egyptian name. And he, he names him Manasseh, which means God has made me forget what I've been through and my father's household. He's not saying I'm no longer of my father's household. He says this, I have forgotten what they did to me. While Egyptians would be crying out, Joseph, you're our man now. Look what your people did to you. Stay with us. Be one of us. Joseph says, no. I'm not going to look out and be caught up in what people have done to me. I'm not going to look down being victimized by what others have done to me. I'm going to look up To the one who gave me the dream. And in looking up to him, he has made me forget what I've gone through. There's somebody here this morning. It's over. The divorce happened. You're stuck raising a single child on your own, and they're not faring too well. And the enemy wants you to start talking to yourself about how they treated you and about what happened. And God is coming to you this morning and he's saying to you, don't look out, don't look down, look up. Because I can redeem that situation. I can redeem that situation. I'm not talking to everybody this morning, but I'm talking to somebody. You know, I I sat here this morning and I, I, I look at some of the stuff you have been through, and you have been through, and you have been through. And there were moments that you go, Look out, because it's over. Look out! Don't look up, it's over. I remember being in the ER unit with you. I remember sitting there, the most painful experience of our lives. I remember when you came home from the dance late that night. I remember protecting you from that boy at UGA, I can remember thinking, it's over. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not over. It's not. And I want to say one thing to the devil. Look at us now. It ain't over. And I want to say, you know, are Brent and Vicky here? You know, the enemy... I know, y'all know the Bashards. You've lived your life going, we're not going to look out. We're not going to talk to ourselves about what has happened. What. We're going to look up. I want to talk to everybody in this room who's had something like happen that's so painful. It, the enemy wants it to become your identity. And you say, no, I'm not. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. I'm going to look up. And when I look up, I get hope, I get faith, I get trust, I get belief in the God of the impossible. How many of you know when it's over, it's not over if God is in it? Are y'all out there? How many of you know right now, the enemy would want us to look out and see what's happening in the Middle East, to see what's happening in DC, to see what's happening downtown, and some days we go, hey, our guy's polling ahead of their guy. Sometimes we look out and we say, gummit, I gotta pay $100 to fill up my car, my Prius hybrid. <laughs> I look at those people. And I've said to you, I said it last week, oh, help me, Jesus. Some of these people responding to the Roe v. Wade thing, it's not natural, it's evil, it's demonic. And the enemy wants you to get into the flesh and go The bunch of, and he wants you to look out. You keep looking out, brothers and sisters, you'll start looking down. And The Lord doesn't want you to look down. We were born for such a time as this. Every week, I gotta pump you up And tell you, we were made for this. Our faith was designed for this. We believe the Bible is true. We win in the end. And in the meantime, we're not going to lose because it's not over. Even when it's over, it's not over. Just ask, listen. Just ask Joseph. When was it over? It was never over. Just ask Jonah. The Bible says in Jonah 2, verse 6, after three days in the belly of the well, he prayed, how many of you know men, some men are slow? <laughs> Took him three days. Joseph, you know, it's like that guy. Have you ever spent 30 minutes looking for your sunglasses and you finally go, this is so frustrating. God, help me find them. Your kid walks in and you goes, Dad, what are you looking for? My glasses, have you seen them? Yeah, they're on top of your head. You ever had that? It's how foolish and how silly we look Sometimes. Just ask Saul of Tarsus, is it ever over? Just ask Paul and Silas, is it ever over? Just ask the disciples, is it ever over? Just ask Jesus, is it ever, ask Lazarus, is it ever over? No, it's never over. And so I command you, brothers and sisters, Let us look up. Joseph, the second child that he was given through his wife, his name was Ephraim. And I love what the word Ephraim means. It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Say that with me. It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. How many of you believe with all your heart God can make you fruitful in the land of your suffering? We got a lot less people. You're like, I want him to make me fruitful, but can't he make me fruitful anywhere else other than the land of my suffering? I don't know. He probably can, but it's not how it normally works out. What's going on in our world right now is a call for the church to wake up. It's a call for the church to cry out for the fire of God to fall, for revival fire to fall. It's a call for the church to take her place in the last days as God wraps this whole thing up and may we not shrink back. May we look up in worship. May we look up in prayer. May we look up in faith and see all the things he's wanting to show us and may we immediately be filled, continually filled With the spirit. Are y'all out there this morning? I got to jump and I'm going to close right here. But I want to say a couple things. We look at that story of, of Joseph. Here's what we see. First, God is strategic. Isn't it interesting how God, Joseph was sold to the Ishmaelites, to Potiphar, the cupbearer and the baker, get to Joseph. The crisis, the prison prepares you to effectively manage the palace. The second thing we see is God is faithful. Say it with me, God is faithful. faithful. It's as basic as it gets, but do you believe it? God is faithful. He won't let us down. He's he's alive. He's smarter than anybody else in D.C. Y'all out there, he is faithful. Thirdly, God is clutch. He does his best work in the 11th hour. The fourth quarter, the bottom of the last inning, God does his best work. When it looks like all hope is lost, he comes through. God is clutch. I could tell you stories. Don't you love clutch athletes? Tiger, Michael Jordan, Gretzky, people that you know Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, if you leave them time on the clock, it's over. God is clutch. And we're in the fourth quarter. And he's going to make us clutch. I got 20 more minutes to preach on that stuff, but I don't get to do it today. And then the last thing I want to say, God is victorious. It is never over, ever. Even when it's over, it's not over. Brothers and sisters, can you look up and get his perspective? Can you look up and see what he's trying to show us in this hour? Can you refuse? You remember I told you in high school, I was in 10th grade when I really got fired up for the Lord and I started reading the Bible every day. The Lord began to convict me about lust and things. And I've told you this before. I used to go to school and I would make a covenant with my eyes. No one asked me to do this. My parents, I didn't have a youth pastor. I just read the Bible and the Holy Spirit told me, go to school and don't look at a girl below her shoulders. And I, it's amazing what happens. And some days I'd have to go to school like this. But to be free and to get set free as a teenage boy from the spirit of lust is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing at any time. Look up. Get the right perspective. It'll set you free. I want to close with this right here. The last thing I'll I'll say to you. Remember last week I asked you, what's the most important finger on the hand? C.E. French Ask me that question after a sermon many years ago. Is it the ring finger? No. Is it the forefinger? No. It's the thumb. He said, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, you take your thumb. Everybody take it. Just, where David said, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In Jesus' name. Everybody look at me right here, brothers and sisters. For those of you who were not raised in a the glasses half full family, I know it's not easy to just flip the switch. I know it's it's the way you view things, it's your disposition, and it's your posture. And you've had too many things add up, and so all the stuff that's happened to you, it's just hard to tell yourself that it's okay. But God comes in this hour, in his word, he wants to lodge in your heart and for it to become a seed that in your business life, in your personal relationships, even in your health, God is wanting you to take your thumb and look up to the hills. Where does your help come from? It comes from the Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. If you're here this morning, and you, you're, I want to ask you, would you say, if you have a hard time seeing the glass half full, trusting the Lord, telling yourself the right thing. if you're here this morning and you still struggle with that, I want you to raise your hands. Just hold them up just for a second. God bless you. God bless you, all of you. In the name of Jesus, would you stand with me? We're going to pray for these people. In the name of Jesus, we praise you, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come and we just want to receive your word that encourages us and causes us to look up, to not look out and get caught up in what's going on around us, to not look down because we're worn out from looking out. I pray, Father, for you to do a work in our soul realm, where our mind is, where we think And we never think about what we think about. And so we tell ourselves things that we need to stop. I pray in the name of Jesus that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control would begin to overflow in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would help us turn the tide by the work of your Spirit. And that, Lord, in spite of everything going on in our lives, we would look up. Get your perspective, and we would not be victims, but we would be overcomers in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. I want everybody in this room, would you just hold your hands out, and I want you to say this with me. Say, Lord, I trust you. You are more than able. I believe in you. My hope is in you. My faith is in you. I trust your word. It is my manna. I live by your word. Fill me with your spirit and make me an overcomer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you receive that this morning, come on, give the Lord praise. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray these things, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance upon you. Every one of you, and may He give you peace in Jesus' name. God bless y'all. Have a good afternoon. I love you. I just feel like something good is on its way. He has promised that He opened all of heaven. And, brother, it could happen any day when God's people hello is a call